uh, just take a moment uh, and be quiet uh, and ask God for help uh, as we come to his word. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we just, uh, we, we just sang a moment ago, um, Jesus, in your name we pray, come and fill our hearts today. And that's our prayer as we come to your word this morning, that you would come by your spirit and that you would speak to us and that you would fill our hearts and our lives with, again, in a fresh way, with your presence, with your power, with your life, with your light, with your love. Uh, We confess again this morning that we need you. Uh, We need you every day uh, to come and meet with us and come and pour out again fresh grace for today. Um, Would you come uh, by your spirit and speak to us through your word and let us hear the word that we need to hear this morning that will do us good and bring us life. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So maybe uh, just a, a little reminder again uh, of kind of where we are in the book. The first half of the book of Ephesians, uh, we were thinking uh, a lot about God's new society, the new humanity uh, that God is creating uh, by breaking down the barriers between us and God and between us and each other. And we are this kind of city on a hill, as Jesus described it, uh, this new society, God's household, uh, displaying God's grace and wisdom to the world and even to the angels, as we saw in the first half. Um, But now in the second half of the book, uh, we're thinking about how do we in daily life uh, walk in a way that is worthy of that high calling? How do we walk out uh, that calling as God's new humanity? How do we live it in the middle of the choices of every day um, in our lives? Um, And last last time and, and today... Uh, we're kind of scanning through the, this section in chapter 4 and chapter 5 where it gets really practical and really down to earth and really where the rubber hits the road and the choices that we make. And so these are maybe uh, our key verses. I just want to read these again and then we're going to read uh, a little bit more this morning. Uh, but this, this is, these are kind of the key verses uh, for, for the last session and for this one. Uh, chapter 4, verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So that's kind of our really stark uh, language of put off the old self, put on the new. It's like taking off an old, dirty set of clothes and putting on a brand new, shining, beautiful set of clothes that we've been given uh, by God. And last week, we were focusing on the negative part, uh, the things we need to say no to, the things we need to cast off. Um, we, We talked last week about how before we do anything beautiful and positive, there have to be some things that we won't do. Um, And we we focused on that last week. What are the things we need to say a decisive no to in our lives? Um, But the good news is that means this week we get to talk about those beautiful and positive things uh, that we get to do, uh, that we get to put on, that we get to jump into uh, as part of our our following of Jesus. Um, I want you to notice just that language. um, Where is it? Here. Um, 
So go this way. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's how uh, Paul describes our new self. Um, and, and I think there's, there's kind of a parallel where if our, our old self is being continually corrupted, you can maybe imagine it as kind of a, a downward spiral. It's continually decaying and going downward towards disintegration and corruption and decay. Um, but our new self is kind of this upward spiral. It's being continually recreated, continually refreshed, continually made new. Um, and I, so I kind of love that, maybe just that very simple image. Uh, the old self spiraling downward, the new self spiraling upward. Um, and you and I have a choice every day. Uh, you have a choice tomorrow, today, tomorrow, um, to participate in a story of corruption and decay or to participate in a story of new creation. Um, and we have to remake that choice, I think, every day. Today, am I going to participate in that old story of decay or am I going to participate in this new story of new creation, uh, of this new, new self uh, that I've been given? Um, I don't know about you, I, th- I think one of the devil's cleverest lies um, is to try to persuade us that sin is much more interesting than goodness. Um, uh, sometimes if you see an actor uh, being interviewed, they'll sometimes say that actually as, as actors, they sometimes prefer playing a bad guy because it's a really juicy role and it, it's easy to make badness interesting, right? So you get, you get like a really compelling, exciting uh, sort of depiction of, of evil, of wickedness, of uh, wrongdoing. Um, and sometimes making goodness interesting can be a challenge. Um, but I, I do think it's a lie that the devil tells us. Actually, the story of the old self that spirals down towards corruption is actually monotonous and dull and predictable. It follows exactly the same path um, in life after life after life. We've seen it all before. Um, It follows the same dreary pattern over and over again. And actually, the story of the new self, which is created to be like God, is endlessly colourful and surprising. So I want to try and convince you that uh, this is about the adventure of goodness, that actually there's tremendous adventure in the life of the new self that's being continually recreated um, and refreshed. Um, And it always kind of catches my breath when I notice that it says the goal of, of being recreated is to make us like God. <laughs> created to be like God. Does that not kind of make you catch your breath? Maybe some of us are thinking, um, I would have been quite happy just to be made a little bit better than I am or a little bit nicer. <laughs> um, but the goal is nothing less than um, recovering that image and likeness of God which is how we were created in the beginning, remember, in Genesis. And the goal of what God is doing in Christ is nothing less than to make us shine again with the very likeness and image of God so that people can look at our life and see the beauty of God shining out, right? That's the goal. And even if it makes us kind of pause a little bit, we need, to, we need to hear that. The goal of what God is doing in your life is to make you shine with the beauty of the goodness of God. Um, and the likeness of your father, so you look like your dad, right? That's the goal of what God is doing in your life. Um, and there's, before we get into the, the detail, uh, there's one other phrase that I want to kind of give you 
uh, that comes a little bit later on um, in chapter 5. Uh, but it's a little phrase that I've found kind of following me around and I find really helpful. Um, just on the way through, Paul says, and find out what pleases the Lord. And there's something about, I don't know what it is about that phrase, that it just has kind of stuck in my mind and heart and followed me around. Um, so I'm giving it to you to do the same. Um, I don't, there's something I love about this phrase. I love the idea that we can find out what pleases God. He doesn't leave us in the dark. He doesn't leave us guessing. We can, you can find out the kind of life that brings pleasure uh, to God. Um, and I think I also just love that idea that the things that you and I do on an ordinary Tuesday in our lives, I always pick Tuesday, I have no idea why, when, I, when I'm thinking about our ordinary life, but the things that you do in your ordinary days can make God smile, can bring pleasure to God, can bring delight to the heart of God. Um, and I, I, don't know, I don't know sometimes if we, we believe that or we realise that or we, uh, we think about that, that actually we can bring delight to God by the way that we choose to live. Find out what pleases God. When you love someone, you want to bring them pleasure, delight, don't you? You want to find out what, what will make them smile, what will make them happy, and then you want to go and do it. And so Paul says, find out what pleases God and then go and do it. So maybe that'll follow you around a little bit this week. But I guess as we, as we read on, and we're going to read again a kind of a big chunk of, of this middle bit of the book. But really this morning, we're going, to, we're going to look for some of the things that make God smile, right? And if you remember last week, uh, well, actually, I don't have it up at the minute, but last week we talked about six uh, negative things that we need to put off and we're going to look for six positive things uh, to go on the, the other side and we'll put them up at the end. So let, let's read together uh, from chapter 4, verse 25. Let's look for the things, uh, let's find out together what pleases God. Chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Chapter 5, verse 1, follow God's example, or some translations say, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm going to read just a few more verses. If you skip down to chapter 5, uh, verse 15, and we'll read a few more verses 
Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we're going to end um, our reading for this morning. Um, so, if you remember last time, uh, we, we talked about six things we must and can say no to, which were those things, uh, falsehood, anger, sins, stealing, unwholesome talk, sexual immorality and drunkenness. Uh, and what we're going to look for this morning is can we find six things uh, to, to replace them with, the positive and beautiful things uh, that we're to put on. And some of them are very obvious, uh, what, what goes with what, uh, but some of them we might have to dig a little bit for. Uh, but let's I might actually do them in a slightly different order this time, so don't, don't be thrown by that. Um, so the first one is this. So that we're to put off falsehood and, and speaking untruths, uh, and instead we're to speak truthfully, verse 25 of chapter 4. Um, we're looking for things that please God. It brings delight to God when you and I are truth-tellers in every part of our life, uh, when we are known as people whose word can be trusted. That brings delight and pleasure to God. Um, there's, a, there's actually a verse in Proverbs 12 that, that says it explicitly, that says God delights in people who are trustworthy. Isn't that great? He, it, it delights God when he looks down and sees people whose, whose word is reliable and trustworthy. Um, why is that so important? Um, because this is what God is like. It says in Hebrews, it is impossible for God to lie. Um, and you and I know when, when God speaks, we say it often, don't we? His word is completely trustworthy. We can trust what God says as true. And so you and I, as people who are being recreated in the image of God, uh, to be like our dad, we are to be people who, whose word is completely trustworthy. Um, you and I want uh, to share with our neighbours the good news about Jesus. Uh, we believe that this message is true, right? We believe this message is true. Um, but what happens if in the rest of our life, our word is unreliable? Uh, what if in the rest of our uh, friendship and family life and business life and all the rest, we are economical with the truth? We are slippery with the truth. We are a little devious. Uh, what if we bend the truth and tell half-truths and kind-of-truths and all those kind of things. Um, if you and I can't be trusted in the rest of life, um, then why should our neighbours believe us when we tell them about Jesus and we say this is true? Um, it, it's, it's vitally important that truth-telling is, is just woven into the fabric of the way we're to live, and it's all through the Bible, isn't it, and all through the New Testament. Um, uh, kind of basic discipleship 101 is we are to be people who are truth-tellers. Um, so that's number one. Uh, if we're wanting to bring pleasure and delight to God in the way we live, speak the truth all the time. Uh, be, be known as a person who tells the truth, whether it's convenient or not, whether it's costly or not, tell the truth. Um, okay? So I should have said, um, we're going we're gonna to go very quickly through the first four 
and then spend a little bit longer on the, la the last two. So, uh, second one is this, and this goes. This is the opposite of stealing. We're to put off stealing, and instead we are to work, and we are to share. That's chapter four, verse twenty-eight. Um, and kind of even just this simple verse in Ephesians uh, maybe corrects a little bit some of our wrong ideas about work that can sometimes slip in. Uh, we sometimes end up thinking of work as being a necessary evil. Um, but, but here we see that work is good. Um, God is delighted when we work. Uh, and it, it uses this phrase, it says, to, when we do something useful with our hands. Um, now, I'm always kind of hoping uh, God's also delighted when we do work, that when we're not very practical with our hands and we do other kinds of work. Um, but there is definitely a dignity here, isn't there, in the work that, in ordinary work that is done with our hands. Um, find something useful to do uh, that will be helpful to other people and helpful to society uh, and go and do it. We're not on earth simply to take, but we're here to give. We're here to contribute. We're here to be a blessing. Um, so look for work that serves the common good. Uh, and then whatever you earn through your work, it's not simply ours to do what we want with. It's ours to share with those in need. Um, so we work to do something useful that benefits others, and then we share what we get with others. Um, and again, uh, why is this so important? Because this is what God is like. God is always working for the benefit and the blessing and the good of all his creatures, right? Um, God is always giving and sharing everything that he has with others. And so if you and I are going to look like our dad, um, we need to work and we need to share. Um, and maybe it's worth adding, um, if you're not in paid work at the moment, um, I think the, the heart of this, the principle of this still applies. You can do something useful to bless others. You can share your time, you can share your talents, you can share your home, uh, you can share whatever you've been given uh, to be a blessing uh, to other people. Um, so there's the second thing. What, what kind of life brings delight to God? A life where we look for good work that will bless others and where we share what we have uh, with others. Uh, third thing is this. Um, we are to speak words that build others up and also words of thanksgiving. Um, so this, this goes with, do you remember, the, the negative command was about putting off unwholesome talk and foolish talk and coarse joking and that kind of destructive speech. And this is the positive, beautiful alternative. Speak words that will build others up and, and speak words of thanksgiving. Um, how often in the Bible are we commanded uh, to, to give thanks and to do things with thanksgiving? Um, and again, um, why is this so important? Um, because this is what God is like. Um, God's words bring blessing and bring life. Uh, remember those, those beautiful words in Isaiah that say that God sends his word into the world like rain? And it falls like rain and it doesn't return to him without doing what it was sent to do, which is to bring fruit from the ground, to bring an abundance of new life. Um, and so if you and I are being recreated to be like God, then in a, in a lesser way, but in a real way, our words also have power to bring life, right? Not in the same way as God, but in a, in a lesser, in a, but, a, but a real way. The words that you and I speak, uh, are, are powerful um, and they can be powerful for harm and to wound 
but they can also be really powerful to bless and to give life. Um, and I think we're trying to find out what pleases God. I think this is a really exciting one because um, it's a very simple one in many ways. Um, you can speak words today. You can speak words tomorrow uh, that will bless, that will encourage, that will build up. Um, maybe somebody who's got no confidence in themselves, you can give confidence and hope to somebody. Maybe somebody who's feeling very alone, you can speak words that will make them feel less alone, less afraid. You can speak words that will make them feel noticed and appreciated. Uh, you can speak words that can be healing and life-giving and liberating to other people. It's not an amazing thing that you, can, you and I can do with our ordinary days. It brings delight to God and it also brings uh, blessing to other people. So speak words uh, that will build people up and speak words full of thanksgiving. Uh, number four is this. Um, we are to be kind and compassionate and forgiving. Uh, this is in chapter 4, verse 32. And you'll, you'll notice this one comes just after uh, the list of those anger sins that we talked about last week, uh, which is a really ugly list where Paul talks about bitterness, rage, brawling, slander, and malice. Those things that bubble up out of human anger. Um, and I guess those are the ways we typically respond whenever we are wronged by somebody. When, when someone bumps us or irritates us or hurts us, we tend to respond uh, left to ourselves with some mixture of bitterness and rage and brawling and slander and those kind of things. Hi, Matteo. <laughs> um, th- those are the things that often spill out of us whenever, whenever somebody bumps against us. Uh, we want to hurt them. Whenever someone hurts us, we want to hurt them in return, right? That's, that's the most predictable pattern that these things take. Uh, but this is not the way of Jesus. Um, Jesus teaches us to bless those who curse us and to do good to those who wrong us. Um, and Jesus sets us the example here, doesn't he? Um, as he is nailed to the cross by men filled with hate, he prays, Father, forgive them. Um, this is what God is like, right? Why is this so important? Because this is what God is like. Um, I heard someone quote an amazing verse this week that I had never really paid attention to before, where Jesus says in Luke 6, God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. It's not an extraordinary statement about what God is like. He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And so if you and I are going to look like our dad, we have to be kind and compassionate and forgiving, not just to the people who are nice to us, but to the ungrateful and the wicked, to those who rub us up the wrong way, to those who do us harm, to those who wish us ill, to those who speak false things against us. We are called to return kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Um, and if you and I are wise, we respond to that by going, that's impossible. Because um, in our own strength, it really, really is. It's not our natural instinct. But remember what we've tried to keep coming back to in the book of Ephesians. Christ dwells in your heart through faith. So he will put his kindness in you. He will put his compassion in you. He will put his forgiveness in you. And so the impossible becomes possible. That we can return these things for whatever people throw at us uh, in the course of our days. So there's number four. Uh, if you want to bring delight to God, uh, go and treat everybody you meet with kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Because uh, that's what God is like. So, 
we're rattling through. Let's get to number five, and we're going to spend a wee bit longer on this one. Um, I think this brings us to the very centre and heart of this whole passage. Paul says, walk in the way of love. This is chapter five, verse two. Uh, He says, be imitators of God. It's an extraordinary phrase, isn't it? Uh, Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Uh, Why is that so important? Because this is who God is. God is love. It's the very center uh, of his character and his nature. Um, And then you may have noticed as we read it, Paul gives a little bit more detail to the picture. He doesn't just tell us to love, but he tells us how we are to love. Um, how are we to love? We are to love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And so right at the heart of this whole passage, Paul brings us to the cross. And he says, if you want to live a life that is pleasing to God, that delights God, you're to love, how are you to love? Um, not just superficially, not just cheaply, not just on the surface, um, but with a costly, self-giving love. The love that bleeds for the other, the love that pours itself out for the other, the love that gives itself away for the sake of the beloved. I want you to love in the way of Christ, in the way that Christ loved us. That's the love you and I have experienced We are his dearly loved children, and that's the love that we are called to imitate. That's the love we are called uh, to to follow in the way of. Walk this way uh, as you live your life. Um, Now, I wanted to dwell on this just for a few moments, because I find myself puzzling a wee bit. All through this passage, there are pairs of behaviour. We're to put off this, and we're to put on this. Um, And maybe it's not immediately obvious uh, what this way of love is. Uh, is the opposite of uh, in this passage. But uh, if you read carefully, if you look at the flow of the passage, uh, you'll notice that these words come just before the section that we focused on last week uh, about sexual immorality. So Paul, Paul talks about living a life of love and then immediately says, and among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Um, and as I've been reading this section, um, I've been finding it really helpful and illuminating to set those two things side by side and to puzzle a little bit over what might be the connection between you and I seeking to live a life of love and the call to, to, to say no to every kind of sexual immorality. And I, I hope this little bit makes sense. There's something here that's been kind of illuminating for me, and I want to try and convey it, but I, I, hope, it, I hope this comes across. Um, here, here are some of the thoughts uh, that, have been, that, that have been in my mind this week. Um, as we think about maybe our, uh, some of the ways we get into trouble with our, our sexual behaviour, our sexual misbehaviour, um, if we ask the question, what are we looking for? Um, I wonder what, what our answer would be. Uh, maybe on a, on a simple level, we might say it's pleasure we're looking for or excitement we're looking for. Um, but maybe I want to suggest on a deeper level, what we're looking for in a misguided way, is connection and intimacy. What we're looking for actually is love. That's what we're hungering after. Uh, And it got me thinking about how we are created, you and I, with a hunger and a longing for love. Um, And of course, that's first of all the love of God. That's the fuel 
that we're made to run on is the love of God, which he lavishes on us. Um, But we're also created to hunger after connection and intimacy and love with other human beings. Um, uh, We often reflect, don't we, that whenever you read Genesis 1 and 2 and you get that repetition of it was good and it was good and it was good, but what's the one thing that it says in that story was not good? It's not good for the man to be alone. That actually you and I, and we can get this wrong, sometimes, sometimes we think uh, all I need is God and I'll be grand. But actually we're not created to just live a solitary life of just us and God. We're actually made for friendship, companionship, community, love. We're made to hunger for God's love, but also for human connection. It's part of what we're uh, designed for. Um, And one of the places that that need gets met is in marriage, which is one of God's best gifts. But maybe maybe the big thing I want to highlight here is that's not the only place where our hunger for human connection gets met. And there's a beautiful verse uh, in Psalm 68 uh, that says this. It says, God sets the lonely in families. I think it's one of the most profound promises in all of Scripture. Um, And I I think it gets to the heart of the gospel, actually. God sets the lonely in families. Um, And if I was to ask you the question, where does does that promise get fulfilled? Um, Sometimes that promise gets fulfilled in marriage, whenever that is part of our story and part of what uh, what we experience. Um, Sometimes it gets uh, fulfilled in maybe our wider family experience with parents or with siblings or with children, Um, but sometimes our experience of uh, ordinary family, if you like, can be disappointing or hurtful uh, or even just absent and missing in our lives. Um, And so I want to suggest something kind of revolutionary, that actually that promise is meant to be primarily fulfilled in the church. It's meant to be primarily fulfilled in the church, in God's new community, God's new household, God's new family. This is the family of God. Um, Now, some of you are thinking, what on earth has this got to do with sex? I've I've gone way off from from where I started there. Um, And and this is kind of the connection that has kind of come clear in my mind, is that the Christian sexual ethic that we talked about last week is really, really difficult to follow, right? Right? Um, especially with the images and temptations that bombard us today. Uh, The Christian ethic is really hard. When we say sex belongs within the covenant of marriage, and outside of that we are to practice, well, this is where you go, all the words you can use here are frightening, right? What are we to practice outside that? Self-control, abstinence, purity, chastity, celibacy. Take your pick. (laughs) Which of those words scare you the most, right? It's this, this is really difficult. Um, this is going to be costly and painful uh, for many of us to follow that ethic uh, that we are called to, and especially for those who are currently unmarried. Right? It's difficult for everybody, but especially for those who are unmarried, um, who are single or who are single again um, in their, in their, their story. Um, and our culture outside is going to say that the Christian sexual ethic is ridiculous and unrealistic and maybe even cruel, right? Because it's impossible. Um, 
and you and I are going to have to decide which voice to trust, right? But here, here's the thing I want to say, and I want to, I want to, I want to beg you to hear this uh, really clearly this morning, is that there are two gifts that you have been given which make it possible, right? That really difficult uh, call to purity and self-control uh, in terms of our sexual behavior. There are two gifts you have been given that make it possible. Um, one of them is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, Christ dwells in your heart through faith and he will give power to say no to sexual temptation and yes to faithfulness and purity and self-control, right? So that's, that's the big one. But secondly, the other gift you have been given is friendship and community and church. It's the family of uh, God that you've been provided with. This is where your hunger for connection and intimacy and love can be met. And our culture will lie to us and say the only place that your hunger for connection uh, and intimacy and love can be met is in a sexual relationship. But that's not the only place. It can be met also in all kinds of ways in friendship and community and family. Um, you and I have to believe it is possible to live a whole and fulfilled human life without sexual intimacy. Um, why do we have to believe that? Because at the very centre of our faith, the one we follow, um, we look at Jesus and we see someone who lived, uh, who was a human being fully alive in the most extraordinary way. And you don't look at Jesus and think there's something missing. You don't look at Jesus and think he's incomplete in some way. And yet Jesus throughout his earthly life never married. Uh, that was not part of his uh, story and part of his experience. Um, and so I think we've got to say, maybe a little, with a little bit of feistiness, um, it is possible to live a whole and fulfilled human life without a sexual relationship, but it's not possible to live a whole and fulfilled human life without love, right? Um, and Jesus, even Jesus, if I can put it that way, surrounded himself with the 12, and even among the 12, there were three who were his closest, most intimate friends, right? And Jesus went to be with his friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and he had the intimacy of close friendship and connection, um, why am I saying all this? And I'm hoping it makes sense because I want to say this. If we're going to call people in our time to this really challenging sexual ethic, and I think we must more than ever, um, then we must also recommit ourselves to be a community in which we love one another deeply from the heart. Because when we are lonely, we will lose the battle with sexual temptation, Right? Uh, we need, we crave, we hunger connection, and we need to provide that for each other. Um, and especially for those who are single or single again. We need to wrap around those who are isolated. We need to wrap around those who are feeling lonely. Um, Kurt Vonnegut, uh, who was an extraordinary novelist, who wasn't a Christian, um, but he, he said something uh, before his death that I, I find really challenging. He said, what should young people do with their lives today? He said, many things, obviously, but the most daring thing is to create stable communities in which the terrible disease of loneliness can be cured. Isn't that an extraordinary thing? I think that's kind of almost a prophetic thing uh, from Kurt Vonnegut, uh, to create communities in which the disease of loneliness can be cured. Um, and so if you and I are going to keep calling each other to this 
high standard in terms of uh, sexual purity and faithfulness. We need to make sure that we redouble our commitment to love one another deeply from the heart and to make sure that no one is isolated or lonely or by themselves. Um, I hope that makes sense. Come and talk to me afterwards if that bit made no sense. Um, I want to finish with the last one, uh, which is this. Um, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Um, And I've been kind of intrigued by uh, the way this one is paired. Did you notice as we read it? Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And I think every time I read it, I think it's an odd pairing. Um, But it it made sense in Paul's mind to put those two things together. Um, And I was kind of playing around with that a little bit. I was uh, maybe on on a more silly note. I was thinking about how we sometimes use the language of talking about someone getting full. Um, so I'm like, right, Paul is saying, don't get full on alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit. So I'm playing with, playing with the, the language. Um, but I, I was chatting with Ryan this week, and as Ryan and I were chatting, uh, kind of puzzling over these verses a little bit, it started to make more sense to me. Because uh, as Ryan and I were chatting, we were saying, um, what is it that people are looking for whenever they drink to excess, right? What is it that we're looking for? Um, I think some of the things are we're looking for happiness if we're feeling kind of down and we're hoping that uh, drinking will make us feel at least for a little while elated and happy. Um, We're looking sometimes for connection with other people and we feel separate from other people, but sometimes when people drink, they suddenly feel at one with the universe and very close to the people around them, right? Um, and, and I also think sometimes we're looking for excitement because we're just bored of our lives, right? So there's three things that I think uh, people are looking for when they drink too much. And I think what came clear to me this week as I puzzled over this was drunkenness is a pale imitation and per substitute for the real thing. Because what you and I are made for is to be filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God. And when when we are filled with the Spirit, he brings increasing joy and he brings genuine love and connection with those around us. And he brings us into the daily adventure of goodness and of life with God and of uh, serving God and of uh, exploring uh, life with God. Um, And so you and I know the effect of drinking doesn't last. People end, we look for happiness, but we end up more sad. We look for connection, but we end up more disconnected. We look for excitement, but we actually end up even more dull and bored than we ever were. It's a pale imitation of the real thing. You're made to be filled with the Spirit of God. Um, and this is kind of maybe a good note just to finish on um, uh, as we kind of think about this whole section. Um, and I, I guess that this is the, the kind of image that I want to finish on. Whenever we hear the commands in this section, to say no to things like drunkenness or sexual immorality or these other things. Um, Sometimes we fear that God is wanting to spoil our fun, right? Um, And maybe one of the things I wanted to say was, as long as that fear is lurking in your mind, you won't be able to obey gladly if you have the fear that God is trying to spoil your fun. Uh, But the thing I want to say to you to finish is, he is wanting to fill our lives with good things. Uh, And maybe the image that um, it, the, the way it comes together in my mind is it's kind of like we're standing with our hands full of rocks 
and God comes to us and says, I want you to set those rocks down. And we, we are defiant and resistant and say, they're my, they're my rocks, I want to keep them. Um, but God is standing by with his arms laden with gifts that he wants to give us. And in asking us to say no, he's asking us to empty our hands so that we can receive the things that he wants to lavish on us and pour into our lives. Um, and so as usual, C.S. Lewis has said it better than me, so this is the last word to him. Um, he says, God doesn't find our desires too strong. He finds our desires too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is being offered to us. And we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Right? God is standing by saying, come with me. and I'm going I'm to show you an ad- adventure of freedom and joy and blessing like you've never seen. And we can't imagine it, so we keep playing with our mud pies. C.S. Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased. We're made for much more. And let's pray as we finish this morning. And then we'll sing together before we go. Um, let me encourage you, um, if God's speaking to you this morning, if there's anything going on in your life and you'd like someone to pray with you, uh, there'll be a couple of people up here uh, who would love to pray with you uh, before you go. Um, let's pray. Um, Father, I want to I ask that you would help us this morning to trust you, uh, that you are our good, good Father, that your desire is to fill our lives with good things. But even right now, this morning, if we could see with the eyes of faith, you're standing by with your arms laden with gifts that you want to give to your children. And Father, I want to pray, would you help us to believe, to trust, to know in our spirit that when you ask us to say no to things, when you ask us to set things down, it's because you want to pour these good gifts into our lives. You want to make space in our lives uh, for us to be filled with your spirit, filled with your life, filled with your joy. Um, Father, I want to pray for each of us here this morning Would you show us the things that maybe are in our hands that are holding us back, that we need to set down, the things that are hindering us? Would you help us decisively this morning to throw them from us and then to come to you with open hands and say, would you fill us again with your spirit? Would you fill us to overflowing? And would you lead us today, tomorrow, this week into the adventure of goodness Help us to go into this week excited to go and find out what pleases our Father and then to go and do it with a glad heart in the power of the Spirit. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.